Welcome to the What's What Weekly Wrap-Up. It's Friday, January 20th. Today's podcast focuses exclusively on this week's features from the WFUV Newsroom. I'm Isabel Danzis. And I'm Shana Walsh. And here are this week's feature stories. Strike a Chord is WFUV's public service campaign. Each quarter, we choose to highlight nonprofits in the New York City area that do work centered around a specific theme. This time, our focus is on clean communities. We take a look at organizations that work to clean, sanitize, and beautify the New York City area. I spoke with the director of Clean Bushwick Initiative about her work cleaning up the streets of Bushwick and educating people about pollution. Hi, my name is Nicole DeSantis, and I am the director of Clean Bushwick Initiative. Could you just start off by talking a little bit about what Clean Bushwick does? Clean Bushwick Initiative is a community organization that started about seven years ago now. And when it started, the main focus was really to clean up the litter off the streets in the neighborhood. But over the years, it's really evolved into so much more than that, an educational organization, um, a collaborative, you know, in terms of getting together with other community groups, businesses, residents, uh, local politicians, really to highlight both the litter and environmental issues in the neighborhood, but also to look at the bigger picture environmentally and how we can reduce our waste. Could you talk a little bit about the importance of having a clean community beyond just, you know, maybe having a clean environment to look at? Sure, yeah. For some people, I think it is aesthetics, but I think when you start digging deep into these issues, you realize that there's so much more at stake. There's health, there's mental health. When people live in neighborhoods that are clean, and cared for, I think it makes them feel better. I think when you walk outside and feel that your neighborhood is dumped on, left behind, um, less important, I think it really has an impact on how people feel about about themselves and about where they live. What do you hope that the citizens of Bushwick either notice or take away from your work? We all have a tendency in every neighborhood or just people in general to want to place blame Um, outside of ourselves for issues and you know there's plenty of blame to go around for most issues I think that's true but I think more important is how we can contribute in a positive way we all create garbage you know not one of us can can claim to, to not do that so I think it's really important to look at your own carbon footprint what are we buying what companies are we supporting um what businesses are we supporting Do they align with our beliefs and, you know, contributing positively to our communities? I think there's a lot of ways we as individuals can really make a difference um, and, you know, spread education about these issues. And could you describe a time specifically that you felt like you made a difference doing this work with Clean Bushwick? I think during the pandemic, doing these cleanups once we were sort of allowed to gather really gave people a a place to go when there wasn't a lot of places to go to connect with people safely. Um, So continuing those during the pandemic and then also removing a lot of the PPE off the street, which was just so bad during that time. And and also, you know, there was a lot of takeout. There was huge, huge issues during the pandemic as, as far as sanitation was concerned. So I think that had a really positive impact. We would get really amazing turnouts to events because I really think people wanted to feel like they were doing something during that time, um, but also having a way to connect with other people, which, you know, was so, so challenging to be able to do safely. That was my co-host Isabel Danzas speaking with Nicole DeSantis, director of Clean Bushwick Initiative. For years, the New York City Department of Education delayed payments to child care centers throughout the city. 
WFUV's Renee Augustini went to a facility in Brooklyn, Little Sun People, to hear about how the lack of resources impacted the children and caretakers there. The kids at Little Sun People, a daycare center in Clinton Hill, Brooklyn, dash the door as they line up for their violin lessons. Their chattering is one of Fela Barcliffe's favorite parts of coming here. The teachers and students call her Mama Fela. Getting to see them, to smile at them, to be greeted by them, to greet them. They are just so beautiful and they just give so much hope for our planet, our world. Barclift founded Little Sun People 42 years ago in her home in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn. She has proudly provided care to a diverse group of children for decades. Many low-income students in New York City rely on Department of Education-funded programs for early childhood care. But Barclift lost those students after the center lost their funding. Linda Clark teaches pre-K there. I have seven children now, as opposed to 18. That, that's, that's difficult because children, they feed off of each other. We want to help them socially and emotionally, and uh, the loss of funding has been detrimental to that. While many child care centers lost their DOE support due to a drop in enrollment during the pandemic, this was not the case for Little Sun People. They initially lost their DOE funding because their old building was not up to par with the Department of Health due to fire alarm issues. Now, Barcliffe says they are still being denied funding for moving out of that site and not properly informing the DOE of their move. This confused Aaliyah Barcliffe. She is Fela's daughter and also the educational director at Little Sun People. When it comes to DOE, you have an instructional coordinator, you have, uh, we had social workers, and they all knew that we were moving. So maybe they also didn't know that the protocol, but no, they never told us that that was against their regulations. Fela. We assumed that they were on team with us to get us out of that old site because we couldn't get approval there. And they are not alone in their funding being delayed or denied due to misunderstanding the DOE's handbook or a contract. Other providers also listed their grievances at a New York City Council meeting with the Committee on Education in October, just like Fela said. So many of the directors were having this self, the same exact issue and they had moved. They were just lost in contract hell. And the DOE is aware of these issues. The DOE did not reply to our request for comment, but the agency's Deputy Chancellor of Early Childhood Education, Kara Ahmed, also spoke at the October meeting. Without question, the Department of Education has built inadequate support systems, which we are striving to urgently address by greatly improving communication and customer service. Councilmember Rita Joseph is the education chair of the New York City Council. She agrees that confusing paperwork plays a big role in early child care centers losing funding rather than careless violations of protocol. The procurement process is horrendous, and it takes a lot of patience, and you have to know how to navigate that space. According to Joseph, sometimes the problem results from an error as simple as not submitting attendance. The DOE announced in November that they would solve this problem with rapid response teams who work with child care centers to work out any invoice issues. Let them know what the rules are before. Uh, maybe that's one of the things we can work on in the council is to provide something to guide them through the system, orientation on how to navigate the system. She hopes that this would give more accessible, reliable care to the 126,000 New York City children that rely on city-contracted early childhood programs. Getting stuff into government, the input is sometimes okay. The output is usually what delays everything. As for Little Sun people, this help can't come fast enough. Even though they received delayed pandemic funding, 
they are still not approved for DOE support because of their move. The children they take care of now are either paid for privately or by voucher. Pre-K teacher Linda Clark. You know, Mama Fela told us. She said, "Like, I've got, I've got money to pay you all through January. Mm -hmm. It's not just us, as I've said. It's whole families that are affected. It was devastating to parents. They just worry about their children. They, they love it here. We had a long waiting list of parents, and I'm sure we still do." Many of the parents on that waiting list just need DOE-contracted programs to come back. Little Sun People currently has an ongoing case with the DOE to restore funding. They don't think they should have lost it due to such a small error. And they won't stop fighting to get those kids back. That was WFUV's Renee Agostini, reporting on Little Sun People Daycare Center in Brooklyn. The child care facility had their funding restored right before the holidays and is now able to enroll new students into their DOE subsidized program. Founder and director Vela Barcliff told WFUV, we are sure we will survive. Up next, WFUV's Robin Shannon sits down with music director Russ Boris to find out what his favorite TV theme songs are. So recently, Rolling Stone magazine came up with a list of the 100 greatest TV theme songs of all times. So that got me thinking about what WFUV music director Russ Boris thinks. What would be on his list, I wonder? Hmm? Now, full disclosure, he and I have similar tastes in TV shows and often spend time recapping the highlights of some of our favorite shows. Sort of like a like a book club, but for TV. So I dragged Russ Boris into the studio and I want to know, sir, what are some of your favorite TV theme songs and why? This is an impossible exercise. Really tough. Impossible. Really tough. Um, so many I would have to leave off. If I'm going to just narrow it down to three, I'll pick three. I, I will pick a different three the second we turn the microphones <laughs> off. Right. But if I want to pick three right now, I'm going to go with one, The Wire. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So the reason The Wire is so brilliant is because you have five seasons of one of the best shows of all time. All right. And you have the Tom Waits song way down in the hole and every season it's done by a different artist it's a cool twist on everything you know you might like one season or one version better than another you know steve earl did it once obviously which makes sense because steve earl was in the show blind boys of alabama have a really famous version of it eventually you got to the tom waits version it's a really cool twist but just i can't associate the song with anything else but the wire now and i think that is part of the appeal you'll find certain tv shows that are like that where the theme song is not specifically to the show but now becomes specific to the show and the wire was one of the shows that you told me to watch and i'm so glad you did cuz oh, yeah. i i binged like the whole thing in like probably a weekend <laughs> omar is one of the greatest characters of all time isn't he next level <laughs> next level such a brilliant show all right. What's on your uh, what's second on your list? Okay, another one. You're gonna go classic here, mm -hmm. and that's the theme from the Twilight Zone. Oh yeah, of course. Everybody knows that it's universal. You could hum it right now. The second I said the words, you know what it is. The show is so brilliant. The so the show is so incredibly ahead of its time that the theme song just kind of reinforces that this is something other, different than you've never seen before. And even watching those shows now, how smart they are, is really insane. And one of the things I love about the theme is that it makes me think about every year going into New Year's, there is a marathon, marathon for the Twilight Zone. Now, I have watched the Twilight Zone for my entire life. And every marathon, I still somehow find an episode that I've never seen. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how it's possible but I still stumble upon some. And that theme song still comes in 
and still reinforces that whole next level type of programming, next level sort of thought process and storytelling and innovation for that time. It's really ridiculous that that show was created at that time in history. Especially because those trends, a lot of what they were talking about, are still happening now. Yes, and that just goes to the, the Rod Serling brilliance where you're, you know, there is certain thing about genius where it's kind of transcends time, and I think that's a perfect example of that. And I automatically heard, no, 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 in my head, automatically. That's exactly, I told you, you say the words and there it comes. <laughs> All right, what other TV theme song is on your list? All right, this one I'm going to go super fun. Uh-oh. Uh, this is the theme to It's Gary Shandling's show. The very first one, the one that preceded Larry Sanders' show. So when Gary just did this old, it was very Seinfeld-esque, really. It really wasn't really about anything. Right. I'm trying to remember, and I don't remember it being about anything in in particular. But, you know, this is the theme to Gary's show, the opening theme to Gary's show. <laughs> Gary called me up and asked me if I could write a theme song. I'm almost halfway finished. How do you like it so far? How do you like the theme to Gary's show? Like this, it's just so goofy, right? But silly and fun and bouncy. It's almost a nursery rhyme in a yeah. way. It's very childlike, but it's super fun and sweet. And I don't know. I just think that's that's a bit of a curveball. For all the ones you could pick out of your head initially where you think about this show, that show, this show, that show, that's a that's a curveball. Now, for Rolling Stone, the number one theme song was the Jeffersons. All right. I'm not sure I agree with that. The Jeffersons, though, that feels like it's just more fun and people like to hum it or sing it and, and almost goof on it in a way that I don't know that you hold a certain nostalgia for it. I think it's just more of like, ah, oh, it's everybody likes, I'm moving on up, you know? If yeah. anybody's, you know, if you jokingly say to somebody like uh, something about moving, they're like, oh, you're going to the east side? Like, it's right. a joke. So, and I'm not disparaging it. I, I'm, I like that theme for sure. I don't but think I would one? put it. Number one seems, seems off to yeah, me. Yeah, I agree. All right, Russ Boris, thanks for sharing your list with us. Oh, happy to. Thank you. All right. That was WFUV's Robin Shannon and music director Russ Boris talking about his favorite TV theme songs. And that's it from us. But you can check out the What's What weekly wrap-up every Friday for more features exclusively from the WFUV newsroom. And make sure to check out the WFUV's What's What daily podcast. It explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues in the surrounding New York metropolitan area. And it includes features and interviews just like the ones you heard exclusively from FUV. You can catch new episodes every weekday at 3. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or find out more at WFUVnews.org. I'm Shana Walsh. And I'm Isabel Danzis.